Hi, everybody. This is the summer reading edition of the Ticker Podcast. But to paraphrase the immortal Lou Reed, hey man, why read? So today, this audio podcast brings you an audio article showcase, sampling some of the finest investor relations journalism from our summer edition. First up, science fiction. It's the near future, and IR has merged with AI to create... Irma. She's alive! A riveting investigation into how intelligent robots are transforming the IR profession. Then, mystery. What automated financial news means for your quarterly earnings coverage. And finally, intrigue. A gripping story on how Spotify sidestepped a traditional IPO and went public with a direct listing. So sit back, relax, and be read to. That's coming up after this week's Ticker News Update. Global investors remain upbeat about growth prospects heading into the second quarter earnings cycle, according to the latest Corbin Advisors survey. Despite their growing concerns about trade wars, inflation, and interest rate hikes, Corbin Advisors President Rebecca Corbin says investors aren't ready to blink just yet. Most companies will likely maintain annual guidance given the mounting headwinds, with investors squarely focused on margins, pricing power, and tariffs, which went into effect July 6th. So while some companies have experienced the impact from duties, we expect that this will be more significant in the back half of this year. To that end, companies will continue to pass on cost, which has the ability to stymie the strong growth we're seeing and ultimately hurt the consumer. As the cycle stretches on, while we have identified some gradual erosion in sentiment, positive views remain elevated, indicating more room to run, notwithstanding some exogenous shock, such as an all-out trade war. Hong Kong Stock Exchange has described as temporary a worrying dispute with its Shanghai and Shenzhen counterparts over plans to prohibit investor access to dual-class shares. Shanghai and Shenzhen say they will block mainland access after suggesting that most investors don't understand how dual-class shares work. Finally, the UK has a new corporate governance code. Focusing on economic and social issues, the revised code encourages firms to strengthen relationships with stakeholders and on boards to articulate the company's purpose beyond its balance sheet. It's summertime, and what could be more refreshing than flipping through the summer print edition of IR Magazine? Unless, of course, you are listening. Let's listen now as Laurie Havelock reads excerpts from Garnet Roach's near-future science masterpiece about what could happen when IR meets AI. You ask your new IR assistant, 
let's call her Irma, to set up a meeting with an investor to fill that hole in the London Roadshow schedule. Irma scans her database to find you the most suitable target to meet with and gets to work scheduling a one-on-one meeting. Nothing so strange there, except Irma isn't a junior in the IR team. Irma is a piece of software. This might be the future, where instead of asking Siri to set an egg timer or Alexa to read the news headlines, you ask your virtual IR assistants to find new investor targets, analyse the shareholder base or fill a gap in the roadshow schedule. That's just where Adam Frederick, Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Q4, says IR tools are heading. In fact, Q4 has already come up with a name for what it hopes your newest, and possibly cheapest, member of the IR team will be called. Iris. The first job for this AI engine, which was launched in January this year, is to tackle real-time shareholder analysis. Q4 is so confident about Iris that it made a public commitment to keep clients up to date on accuracy rates and even offers a money-back guarantee if shareholder ID accuracy falls below 80%. But this is just the beginning, says Frederick. Other services already offered by the firm are backed by artificial intelligence, or AI, and Q4 is launching its own AI targeting tool at Neri's annual conference in June. It certainly isn't the only company offering such services. For example, IntroAct's AI-powered targeting tool moves to the beta stage at the start of the year, and the firm is pushing into the corporate access space. Q4 is betting hard on the technology, however. Quote, AI is core to us, and we are building all of our platforms around this technology, says Frederick. Everything we are developing has the attributes of AI, machine learning, and big data as driving forces. For Barry Starr, founder and CEO of Wall Street Horizon, the term AI is a bit of a bugbear. Quote, I think AI is overhyped. It's just a buzzword, he says. But technology, and getting smarter and better and using technology to achieve that goal, that's absolutely happening. Star's firm, which specialises in earnings calendar and events data, relies on, quote, a half million lines of proprietary code that we use to make our analysts quicker and smarter, and we use technology to get rid of all the drudgery so that they can focus on the interesting stuff. Do we call that AI? There are plenty of industry people who would, but it really isn't AI at all. If you want to get technical about it, it's really about making Pareto-optimal decisions in your development queue to figure out how and when to automate the things you should automate. In other words, Star says, quote, It's the 80-20 rule. If we can automate 80% of a task so we can have the analyst focus on the other, really complex 20%, that's a great use of automation and a great use of technology. Would I call that artificial intelligence? Maybe as a marketing term, but not really. It's just being smart about how one automates a process. What Starr and Frederick agree on, however, is the purpose of this technology, to take the tedious tasks away from humans, freeing them up to do the stuff machines can't do. Quote, the point is to make you as an IRO faster, better, and able to handle more information in both directions. Because as information keeps increasing, you need to really use these technologies to leverage your intelligence, says Starr. For him, these technologies are evolutionary rather than revolutionary, but for Frederick, perhaps unsurprisingly, AI has the potential to be a game-changer for investor relations. Many IROs are already using this sort of technology, he says, often without realising it. But that's the point. Quote, for IROs, it should be seamless, points out Greg Lampf, Vice President of IR at network provider Siena. 
What I'd be looking for from AI is how to better digest and act upon the information I already get. If there's additional information that can help me further, that's fine. But if it's just giving me another dose of data, that's not going to be that helpful. I'm looking for something that makes data more actionable, helps create insights and can elevate the importance of information. Much of what Lamp says would benefit his three-song IR team in terms of new technology reflects the challenges around some of his more work-intensive tasks, and that's likely to be the case for most time-strapped IROs. Quote, targeting is a good start, at least from a strategic point of view, he says. But I suppose from a more tactical point of view, with all the trading activity in any given stock, and a significant amount of it's machine-driven, if AI can bring to my attention the more important drivers of the stock and help me understand why it's going up or down from a machine perspective, that would be great. And, like Star, Lampf believes such tools should be designed to enhance his own insights, adding that it's unlikely he'd completely drop some of his human activities, even where AI was helping. Quote, management sometimes asks me why the stock is behaving in a certain way. If it is behaving a little out of trend, having a tool that adds to my answer is something I would appreciate, he explains. Right now, what I have to do is stay on top of it through all the emails I receive and through relationships with trading desks. And frankly, I would still probably do both those things. But if AI maturity gets to a point where I can lean on it more, that would be great. The maturing of the technology is only one element in the future of AI, however. There's also the issue of uptake, and Frederick says part of this drive has to come from service providers. Quote, Historically speaking, the IR space has been a very stagnant industry. It's slow to move, and the same players have been around for the past couple of decades, he explains. Usually, and in any industry, innovation comes from smaller or less mature companies that have a different perspective. With any new technology, adoption is often slow at first, and we see that today in the IR space. But the biggest reason for this is not necessarily that the end user, the IRO, has been slow to adopt it. Rather, it's that many vendors have been slow to implement it. Another driver is regulation. MIFID 2 may be a European directive, but it has a wide reach and one of its generally accepted effects is going to be increasing workload for IROs, resulting in a need for greater resources and smarter ways of working. This will push the industry to seek out better IR tools, says Frederick. But when you're arguing for a bigger budget, you also need to show the return on your investment. Quote, with MIFID 2, IROs will be increasingly pressured to have quantitative analytics they can show senior management and say, this is why we attended X conference, this is why we paid for access to be in meeting with Y investors, he explains. And that brings the conversation back to Frederick's idea of the centralised, automated AI assistant of the future. Quote, envision an IR workflow solution that basically automates almost every single aspect of your day, he says, from targeting and prospecting new investors, tracking your activities, notes and meetings, reporting on meeting success and the return on investment of your marketing efforts to monitoring real-time institutional ownership changes and market structure analytics. Using a centralised intelligent platform binds it all together. We've only scratched the surface of what AI can do in this industry. Now, if you could just get Irma to make your morning coffee. Hi again. Ah yes, Irma. Well, maybe one day she could sling me another Molson Canadian. Uh, That may be asking too much. But as we find out in our next story, as artificial intelligence improves to bring investor relations professionals up to par with Wall Street's sophisticated technology, it's also worth keeping an eye on similar advances from newsrooms. 
Ben Ashwell now on the pros and cons of robo-reporters for IR. Quarterly financial reporting has long been the bane of many business journalists' existence. Trawling through earnings reports to input figures into a relatively pro-forma article template can be dry and monotonous, as if investor relations professionals need to be told. That's why news organisations singled this out as an exercise that could be automated, at least in part. In doing so, they have created the welcome prospect of greater coverage, but also the fear of potential inaccuracies in such sensitive reporting. It's an area that has spawned several academic reports that, depending on which one you read, suggest these robo-stories can move a stock price, increase liquidity, or expose retail investors to greater risk. The question remains, are the bionic newsrooms of tomorrow entirely well-suited to the quarterly news releases of today? For IROs, that means keeping a close eye on developments and your company's coverage. The Associated Press, or AP, made headlines in fall 2014 when it started publishing automated earnings stories. Four years later, financial journalism assisted by artificial intelligence, or AI, has also been trialled by Dow Jones, Bloomberg, Reuters and many others. AP's coverage of earnings releases has expanded from an average of 300 per quarter in 2014 to 4,700 in the first quarter of 2018, according to data from AP's partner, Automated Insights. The majority of US public companies now receive some form of earnings coverage on the AP Newswire, along with a growing number of Canadian companies, says a spokesperson for Automated Insights. You can spot an auto-generated story by its footnote, which reads, quote, This story was generated by Automated Insights using data from Zach's investment research. AP's model was the subject of a survey by academics at the universities of Stanford and Washington last year, which found that these robo-stories could lead to an increase in trading volume of about 38%. Quote, What's nice for smaller caps is that I see news organisations like CNBC, Yahoo Finance and local news outlets carrying these automated stories, whereas these outlets might not publish a press release, says John Viglotti, Vice President of Investor Relations Products and Services at Cision and PR Newswire. Quote, A lot of our smaller cap clients are looking at investor visibility to improve liquidity. Lisa Gibbs, Director of News Partnerships at AP, says these earnings stories are more accurate now than when they were written by humans. Due to the efficiencies created by accuracy and the volume of output, AP estimates that automating these stories frees up time for three full-time journalists to work on more in-depth reporting and investigative projects throughout the year. AP's process for automated stories isn't universally admired at public companies, however. Quote, automated earnings reports are a mixed blessing in the eyes of some industry experts, observes Neil Hirschberg, Senior Vice President of Global Media at BusinessWire. Quote, while they certainly provide greater visibility to small and mid-sized companies that were previously excluded from editorial coverage, the template format of these reports can often result in material information being left out of stories. AP's earnings stories are concerned with revenue, earnings per share, adjusted revenue and stock price performance. The data is extracted from earnings releases by humans and then input into essentially an earnings story conveying belt. These stories are less than 100 words in length and are intended as brief snapshots to be disseminated through a newswire. Gibbs explains that where these stories begin to go awry is when there's a complicated company story. M&A transactions and non-GAAP figures are two of the biggest sources of friction. 
Industry observers say numerous companies, including Netflix and Under Armour, have faced situations where a tech-driven news service has produced a story in which the figures are correct, but there is insufficient context to explain that they are due to unusual circumstances. Representatives from both companies declined to comment for this article. The impact of such reports can be felt particularly sharply by small caps. Telaria, formerly Tremor Video, is a small cap US stock specialising in video monetization. In February 2016, the company had to restate part of its net and gross revenue. An AP story reported a 30% fall in revenue, but, quote, it wasn't an apples-to-apples comparison, says Andrew Poson, vice president and head of IR at Solaria. The stock dropped by 15%. I had to spend a significant amount of time explaining to my board of directors and CEO what had happened. Posen adds that the AP story wasn't incorrect, it just lacked the context of the restated revenue figures compared with the previous quarter. If an earnings story is inaccurate, Gibbs says issuers should contact the news desk at AP, which routinely updates the stories. She adds that the AP team will consult Zach's investment research and pay attention to what the street is saying through consensus models to determine whether a story needs correcting. She did not comment specifically on Tolaria. This throws up a potential point of vulnerability for small-cap companies looking to correct stories, as Poston illustrates. Quote, We have two analysts covering us, and the gap between their consensus numbers is relatively wide, so the numbers aren't as relevant as the numbers we would guide to. Accurate sell-side research coverage is a perennial challenge for small-caps, even without the projected disruption that MIFID 2 will prompt. From April 2018 onwards, AP changed the headlines of the automated stories to call them, quote, earning snapshots, rather than reflecting a positive or negative trend from results. This serves as a form of disclaimer that these stories aren't a source of in-depth financial journalism, Gibbs says. Quote, anyone expecting to truly understand a company's business and financial picture would be doing far more due diligence than just consulting a hundred-word story from AP, she adds. In Tolaria's case, however, Posen says both retail investors and hedge funds have traded based on misleading, but not, importantly, inaccurate, earnings stories. Recently, he knew there was a figure in Tolaria's earnings release that might make a splash, so he prepared his management team and proactively calls to some of his retail investors to make sure they understood the story. Gibbs says AP would consider turning off automated stories for a specific company if there was a good case for it, and a consistent pattern of stories that required correction. Indeed, she says AP has decided to selectively turn off automated stories when a certain industry has faced accounting challenges that could result in misleading stories. This was most recently the case during the first earnings season after the US tax reform was passed, when many companies took large one-time hits to overseas revenue. Partly in response to the Stanford and Washington University study that linked AP's stories to an increase in liquidity, Nicholas Guest, a PhD student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, examined the market effects of earnings stories published by the Wall Street Journal. He looked specifically at stories covering the S&P 500, and his research finds that stories with more original reporting and less content reproduced from an earnings release increase trading volume and improve price discovery. Guest notes that WSJ articles will likely have a broader audience, one that includes potential retail investors, the newswire coverage from the likes of AP and Reuters, which tend to feed into investor terminals such as Bloomberg. 
Quote, as most readers of earnings coverage are also investors, or at least potential investors, any value-relevant information in an article will likely be reflected in their subsequent trading and ultimately in market prices, Guest points out in his research paper. Absent a press article, some or all of these investors would have to gather and process the information themselves. The impact on trading and price discovery would therefore be delayed. Essentially, automated stories can lead to greater liquidity, but stories with added input from journalists can also yield price discovery. Although Guest's study was concerned with WSJ's output, it's worth noting that all other publications mentioned in this article are using some form of automated earnings reporting, such as AP, Bloomberg and Reuters, still operate full newsrooms that contribute analysis and reporting to earnings stories. At Reuters, Reginald Tra, COO of Editorial, is experimenting with new ways of employing machine learning and AI to enhance financial journalists' reporting. Both of these tools are focused on using technology solutions to scan data for trends and leads that could be used by reporters, creating what Chua calls the cybernetic newsroom. The most recent tool, Links Insight, scans market data and looks for trends that might be of interest to journalists. Once a trend has been identified, it is then run through a natural language generator to produce a sentence, which is then sent to the journalist covering that specific company. Quote, it will send something to a journalist writing about IBM with the basic facts, like what the market closed at, Chua says. But then it will say things like, the market closed up for five days in a row, the first time it has done so since January. Then it can go on and say the number of analysts who rated the company a buy, and how that has changed in the last six months. This tool is being used by the Reuters stock buzz and markets teams, and will soon be used by the company's team to monitor pre- and post-earnings activity. In a recent blog post about Link's Insight, Chua speculated about the potential future users of this technology for individual investors, such as personalization. What this kind of personalization could do to impact liquidity or trading activity isn't known, but both academic studies referenced in this article make a case for financial disclosures having some effect on stock performance. Both Chua and Gibbs say they aren't ready to let this kind of automation loose on the world without being filtered by a human just yet. But there's also a sense that this brave new world of business journalism isn't too far away. Robo reporters, eh? I don't like it. Listen. When Spotify decided to go public in an unusual direct listing, it had to find some way to get its message to investors without the help of underwriters. So, how? Human reporter Ben Maiden found out. On March the 15th, a man in a pale blue, button-down but untucked shirt, and with a clip-on microphone where his tie might otherwise be, walked on stage to excited applause. After welcoming those both in the room and watching via live stream, he explained... Quote, one of the main reasons we decided to pursue a direct listing instead of a traditional IPO was our desire to be more transparent and more accessible to a wider range of investors. We believe hosting an investor day prior to our public listing will do just that. With those words, Paul Vogel, Head of Investor Relations and Financial Planning and Analysis at Spotify, kicked off a unique event and a potential turning point for companies' interactions with shareholders and Wall Street. As an alternative to the usual IPO roadshow, it was the first major public step toward an unusual form of listing and a rare public look inside an investor day. 
What followed, and is still available on the music streaming firm's website, was a two-hour live presentation by members of senior management, followed by a Q&A with co-founder, CEO and chair Daniel Eck. According to a screenshot seen by IR Magazine, more than 13,000 people tuned in live, a stadium tour-sized audience. Alongside footage from the Investor Day, the company posted a series of videos urging investors to get acquainted with the Spotify story, titled Platform and Marketplace, The Big Picture, Why Direct List and Our Business Model. Spotify's direct listing is not the first such deal. According to Nasdaq, it has had eight direct listings, starting in February 2006, but Spotify was the first to have such scale. In the face of widespread scrutiny, much care was needed to bring the deal together. For one thing, the company needed the right listings rules. In February, the SEC approved NYSE's rule changes that allow for a direct listing of a company's common equity, even if there has been no recent trading in a private placement market, provided the company's publicly held shares have a $250 million aggregate market value. The revised regulatory landscape appears to open to a variety of potential issuers. Skadden Arp's Slate, Meager and Flom partner, Thomas Ivey, describes the NYSE's rule changes as broadly applicable. He also notes that Spotify secured an SEC no-action letter regarding the start and stop of the restricted period around its listing that offers guideposts for any other company wishing to get the same regulatory treatment. Having laid the legal groundwork, and with Citadel Securities and Morgan Stanley preparing for opening day, Spotify needed to turn its attention to other matters, including investor relations. In many ways, a direct listing such as Spotify's is similar to an IPO from an IR perspective, says RJ Jones, Vice President for Investor and Corporate Relations at Zillow Group. Early on in the process, the IR team needed to figure out timelines, documentation and how to present the company, and resolve issues such as where the roadshow or investor day will happen, what's in the deck, and who from management will be speaking. Quote, Pricing is pretty nerve-wracking for the company, Jones says, adding that the IR function must work on this with the banks and set accurate expectations for returns. You need to do everything you possibly can to remove unknowns for investors. The question then is whether companies that go for direct listings also opt for Spotify's model of using a live-streamed investor day. Investors' expectations have no doubt been raised, and the types of companies suitable for that type of deal are also likely to be tech-savvy, indeed tech-adventurous, and have the kind of brand recognition that can attract an audience. Alex Wellins, co-founder and managing director of the Blue Shirt Group, describes the live Spotify Investor Day as, quote, unique, noting that the firm benefited from name recognition and wide analyst coverage. His company, which manages IR programs for technology-related IPOs, recommends doing webcasts once they're public, in part to ease concerns over complying with Regulation FD disclosure requirements. But he strokes on a note of caution, saying he's not sure an event such as Spotify's would be allowed before a regular IPO due to curbs in areas such as gun jumping. Ivy notes that, despite the different means of going public, Spotify is still constrained by similar regulatory features, such as not going outside its registered statements in a material way. Jones, meanwhile, says streaming can be good for certain events where the company needs to cover lots of topics, such as at an investor day, but is less suitable for events like earnings calls. Ultimately, it's about whether the technology is a good fit for the company's brand and need for media presence, perhaps even how good management is on camera, he says, laughing. Mark Law, G. 
chief executive of video meeting company OpenExchange, describes streaming as, quote, the way forward. IR teams need to get their company's message out, and in a MIFID 2 world, they will have less budget for going on the road, he points out. Live streaming could be used for major events, such as M&A announcements, though it is less suitable for day-to-day communications, he comments. Technological developments such as the use of concentric rings of servers means streaming events can handle larger audiences, Laura adds. As for Spotify's decision to live stream, quote, it was truly radical, he says. The consensus among industry professionals is that Spotify's direct listing was a success and that similar deals are possible, but will be viable options only for very particular companies. The list of ingredients needed includes having executives who are able to engage with investors and the street, particularly in the absence of underwriters. Others are having a large scale and being well known to investors and consumers. Above all, a company looking to follow in Spotify's footsteps needs to be happy not raising capital. Wellens says other, quote, mega unicorns could take the Spotify path. He notes that as more companies opt to stay private longer, they grow much larger and have larger investor bases before going public. Quote, my sense is that a lot of people were watching and waiting to see whether this was successful enough to be used as a model again. And I think that question has been answered, says Joe McCain, head of execution services at Citadel. As for the exchanges, Chris Taylor, NYSE Vice President for Listings and Services, says, quote, A direct listing is an option for companies that do not need to raise capital or brand visibility, but instead want to offer a liquidity event for the early investors. While there is a high level of interest among companies looking to go public, there is a finite universe of companies that would benefit from this type of listing option. A potential issue for companies planning this route, and their IR teams, is governance. Spotify's listing gives founders Eck and Martin Lawrenceon roughly 80% of shareholder voting power. Courtney Keatinge, directly of ESG Research at Glass Lewis, says her firm has not taken a view on Spotify's governance because it waits until shareholder meetings to do so. But she adds that the issue of voting rights is, quote, something we've taken an increasingly hard line on. And having 80% rather than 100% founder control doesn't ease concerns, she says. Peter Kimball, Head of Advisory and Client Services at ISS Corporate Solutions, which advises companies, says there is also a lot that remains to be seen in terms of governance at the company, such as board diversity, structure and rights. In the meantime, he notes that Spotify has not gone as far as Snap, which offered only non-voting shares. Quote, I don't expect to see the same kind of aggressive response from the institutional investor community, he says. This has been the Ticker Podcast Summer Listening Edition. Subscribers can read or listen to the full articles in the special technology-themed summer edition of IR Magazine. Coming to you lakeside from the sandy shores of scenic Lac Menard in fabulous St. Lucie, Quebec, somewhere in the general vicinity of Mont Tremblant, I'm Jeff Cassette. Oh, my God.